0: So if we've gone through the Storm of Life series, we've covered a lot of different topics. we t- covered why God will send these kind of storms into our life. We covered fear and anxiety as a couple of the different ways that, that storms seem to come in when, when God seems to grow dim in our life and it just seems that life is overwhelming us. These different kinds of things that, that just come in and smack us in the face. And this morning we're going to be covering a storm of life that can come in through a financial type of storm. And we're going to be uh, looking uh, specifically this morning at Matthew 6, 25, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or flip open your electronic device, however you read God's Word. I'm going to tell you about a financial storm that I had. In the fall of 2002, I was out with a family. We were walking in Petrifying Springs Park in Kenosha, and it has kind of a a woodland trail that you can take. And we had our dog with us, Candy. Many of you have met her. She's a 100-pound Labrador retriever, full of energy, just running around, chasing squirrels, running in and out of the river, and, and just getting all muddy, and she's happy. You know, she's a dog, just doing the the happy dog thing. And she's running around and we're walking through the woods and we came upon a tree that had fallen across the river. And so being the daredevils that we are, we're balancing on the tree and walking across the river, trying not to fall off and get wet. And Candy's running around underneath it. Well, one of the times that she ran underneath it, she got caught in some branches. And so she's sitting there and the the bank was kind of steep right there. So she couldn't get her paws to, to grab anything to pull herself up so I have to climb down and get her so I'm climbing down kind of through this tree that had fallen over down onto the branches and I managed to get a hold of her collar so I'm kind of just trying to pull her just to get her enough to get to dry ground to pull herself out of the the river and as I was pulling it was an older collar and the collar broke. Well, so I'm pulling you know, a 100-pound dog. I'm kind of bent over between two branches like this. So I pull, and when it gave way, I spun, but my feet, foot was planted between two uh, branches. And so I spun, and as I spun, I felt my left knee go pop and immediately start hurting. And fortunately, I didn't fall into the mud. I fell onto the tree, and then Candy managed to figure out a way out. And I was just sitting there holding my knee, and I was couldn't put any weight on it, and I was just like, oh man that hurt and I thought maybe I'm feeling around I'm like oh maybe it's the LCL ligament it's probably not that bad and I kind of hobbled my way out of the woods went to the doctor's office Doctor, one of his physician assistants uh, diagnosed me with a strained knee gave me a week off of work I said well that's not a big problem I have plenty of vacation time took vacation time uh, about a week later, everything felt okay. You know, it felt a little loose, but I mean, it's, I can just brace and, you know, wear a brace or something And if it got bad. And I go back to work, and the first call I'm on, we have a serious patient, and we get to the hospital, and I go sliding quickly across the bench seat to go open the back door, and my foot catches on the cot and twists that knee sharply over again, and I feel another pop. And this time, my knee, I could just feel, you could just feel it start to swell. You ever sprain something, you just feel it start to immediately swell up and puff up and everything else. And this time, I could just barely walk on I go hobbling into the ER, and I called into my manager, and I said, I, I messed up my knee again. And I said, I don't want to take workers' comp. I said, I did this off-duty, and I just re-injured it probably. And I said, I'll just go to the doctor tomorrow and see what he says. And so I went back to my doctor. My doctor... This time, my doctor-doctor sees me, and he said, well, they should have never released you without x-rays or MRI or something. And so he sent me to the MRI. MRI comes back. Well, you've ripped your ACL in half. It's totally severed. ACL, there's two ligaments crossways in your knee. This is the ACL, the one in the front. PCL's in the back. Rip the ACL, which means that you have no stability when you step down or step up, is what that means. And it requires surgery to fix it. And you've also torn a significant amount of your meniscus, which is a cartilage between your knees. Um, So, yeah, that's going to require surgery and rest also. And so I called work, said, well, this is what they're saying. And and so I went to my doctor to get Aflac paperwork filled out because I had Aflac insurance. And he said, well, Aflac doesn't pay for workers' comp injuries. I said, well, it's not a workers' comp injury. I said, I did this on my day off. And he said, well, no, because we cleared you to go back to work, this is a new injury now. So it's workers' comp. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem fair to my employer, but can't argue with the doc. So he um, said I'm off. Well, then work um, is kind of going, well, wait a minute. This was, you said you did this off work. And you just re-injured it at work. And it kind of started to turn into a mess like that. And I went to see the knee doctor. He gave me more good news. He said, well, he goes, with the, comp- the complexity of your knee injury, you're looking at four to six months off of work. He said, and it's very doubtful you'll ever be a paramedic or a firefighter again. He goes, because that, knee- that knee injury is just too bad for you to go back to work so i'm just getting this kind of bad news after bad news after bad news and we have no money coming in at all we have a thousand dollars in the bank our mortgage is about 800 of our when our house we had our house in kenosha and it's coming due on friday it's now i think it was monday or tuesday and i just woke up and i'm just looking at at kind of financial ruin here and Tammy's a homeschooling mom. She didn't have a job. I was a sole breadwinner. And as I said, only about $1,000 in savings. And so we're just facing this huge financial storm. Not only do we not have enough money to make the mortgage, we don't have enough money to make the utilities the next week or anything else. Plus, since I'm off work, I have to pay into my work for my health insurance premiums. So I just have all, I have nothing coming in anymore. And it was definitely a time of spiritual stretching for us. During this time, one of the scriptures that God really spoke to me through was found in Matthew's Gospel that we're going to read this morning. And it was part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So let's see what Jesus had to say about financial storms this morning. Matthew 6.25, this is Jesus talking. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for your word, which deals with everything that can possibly come up in our life. And one of the things that can bring us the most doubt and the most fear in our lives is the subject of finances, having enough to meet even basic needs, much less fulfill our dreams. So, Father, I ask, Lord, that you just take this message and use it to reassure us and assure us of your love for us, of your care for us, and your willing to meet every single one of our needs as we put our faith in you. Lord God, I ask this in your name. Amen. If you think about it, a lot of the conflict that we see in our lives, and even throughout world history, have been conflicts over resources. I was taking a history class once, and one of the authors said that most wars are started by one country committing armed robbery against another country. They're going there to steal something, resources that they have. And part of the image of God within each one of us recoils at the idea of stealing. It should. It was, it was so important to God that it was codified within the moral law of the eighth commandment, which prohibits stealing. Most of us, and most of the time that we go to work, we work by the sweat of our brow to earn the money that we have. And we have a right to be secure in those possessions. And this is why the concept of financial stability and having enough is so huge for us. Because when you get right down to it, it's a matter of survival. I read an article a few years ago that said most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Most Americans are one paycheck from financial ruin, just because of of the lifestyle that we live. This is why the first thing Jesus tells us is don't worry. Don't worry. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? And I'm not going to lie, when I hurt my knee and we looked at our finances and the minimal that we could get by every month... It looked pretty hopeless, and it looked pretty grim. I didn't know what I was going to do. I actually called my brother and said, "Hey, can I move into? If it comes to that, can we move into your basement? Because I thought that's where we're going." And during this time, I woke up one morning to spend some time with God in prayer, and and I had one simple phrase. Every time I would pray something about it, the Holy Spirit would silence me, and God would just speak into my spirit. Be still. And know that I am God. And it's an encouragement anytime God speaks into your soul. It is. It's a blessing. It brings us peace. It brings us hope. It fed my spirit, but it didn't do a lot for my pr- pragmatic, practical side. I remember saying, okay, God, you can be, I can be still and know that you're God, but I got an $800 mortgage due on Friday. And it's Wednesday. We got $50 in the bank. We have hardly any food in the fridge. Uh, utility bills come due uh, due a week after that. I said, you better be multiplying some fishes and loaves here because we're we're in some deep trouble. About four hours after I I was doing this prayer, I received a call from the workers' comp people, which I thought it was going to be this very rude woman that worked there yelling at me some more. But I took the call, and apparently... They had just come out of a phone meeting with my physician. My physician was also a personal friend and he was a mentor in the medical field, AJ Capelli. AJ um, held the position of being the chief physician for Aurora Healthcare in the southwest or southeast corner of the state. I know you don't know what Aurora Healthcare here is is here in western Wisconsin, but in the kenosha Racine area, it's, it's huge. And matter of fact, the entire east side of the state and south of Madison, it's all Aurora Healthcare. It's by far the largest healthcare provider in the state. Aurora Healthcare also happens to be that, worker com- that worker's compensation company's biggest client. After talking with my physician, AJ, they suddenly changed their mind and said they'd be overnighting an $1,800 check to me. And for the last three weeks that I had been off, and they would now be covering everything. And this reminded me of Daniel chapter 10 at that moment. In Daniel chapter 10, the prophet is given a vision of something so terrible that it causes him to start to weep and fast before God. And he spends time interceding for his nation and his people because he knows what is coming is going to be so terrible. And as he's praying, he's not seeing any evidence of God moving. And he continues to weep and cry before God and intercede for his nation. And at the end of the 21 days, he has a vision. In his vision, he sees a man. This man is the pre-incarnate Jesus coming to give him an encouraging word. And one of the phrases that our Lord told Daniel has really stuck with me comes from Daniel chapter 10 and verse 11. He, meaning Jesus, said to me, Daniel, you are of great value. Understand the words that I'm about to speak to you, so stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up shaking. And then he said to me, Don't be afraid, Daniel. For from the very first day you applied your mind to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come in response to these words. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was opposing me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the leading princes, came to help me, and because I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now the truth and the principle that we need to get from this scripture is this. God hears your prayers. And God never, ever stops fighting for you. He is always working, even when we can't see it. Even when there's no evidence of it around us, He is always fighting. And we have to remember sometimes that in this working of Him, working something out in your life, there's going to be opposition that has to be overcome. There's also the subject of his sovereignty and his timing. God is never late. Ever. He will always come through to you in his time and in his way for your best benefit. You see, I had the no idea that my physician was going to go to bat for me against the workers' comp company. But God knew. God knew what was going to happen. God knew what was going on. That's why he was able to tell me to simply stand still and know that he is God. And one of the reasons why he allowed such a huge financial storm in our lives was to teach me that lesson. Another lesson about financial storms is this. We often cause our own storms. If we're honest with each other, sometimes our our financial decisions aren't always the best sometimes it's our own stupidity that can bring the rain clouds and thunder down upon us and that leads us to the next part about this about our lesson this morning which is don't be a pagan in verse 11 of matthew or excuse me verse 31 of matthew 6 it says do not worry saying what shall we eat what shall we drink what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them I was in Kenosha once, standing in a line at McDonald's, and ahead of me in the line was this kid He's probably six, seven years old. Tammy and I lived kind of on the edge of, of one of the poorer areas of town, and, and you could see that this kid probably came from one of those areas, and he, had, he just had a whole handful of pennies. I don't know where he got them from, but he was going to go buy a vanilla ice cream cone. And he gets up to the counter and he spills all these these coins everywhere on the counter. And the person's you know counting them up. He goes, "I'm sorry, you're ten cents short." And you just saw the look on his face. The look on his—he's just crestfallen. Just, oh, I can't have my ice cream. Of course, everybody in line is digging in their pockets, seeing if they have a dime for him. And the guy right behind him just pulled out a dollar and just handed it to the cashier. And you saw the joy that went upon this kid's face. He got all of his money back, plus he got an ice cream cone out of it. And you just saw the the joy in his face as he walked back through that line. As I was preparing this message, that little incident popped into my mind, and I was thinking about how we as adults kind of do the same thing. How many of us feel that way when we stand in something or we stare at something that we really want But we can't afford it. I have a little bit of a confession. I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to technology. I love the biggest, best thing there is out there. You know, some guys are into cars, some guys are into woodworking and and all these other things and having the best power tools. I'm into technology. I love having the best cell phone on earth. And a couple years ago, this was the best cell phone on earth Galaxy S9 Plus. And a couple years ago, my phone was starting to show its age. Cell phones, after a while, their batteries start to be able to lose charge, and I was having to charge it like six, seven, eight times during a shift just to keep the battery going, and it's time to to switch out your cell phone. So I started to check out the technology websites that are out there for cell phone and decided that the Galaxy S9 was the best cell phone on the planet. But it wasn't quite out yet. So I put the date on my calendar, and I told Tammy, I said, that Friday, I'm going to go get a Galaxy S9. Our cell phone company allows you to just get the cell phone, and you kind of pay installment payments on it. And so I went and got it the first day it was out, and Tammy kept telling me, she's like, you know, if you wait two weeks, you'll probably cut the the installment payment like at least by a third, if not half. I said, no, 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 no. I need this thing right now. I'm going to get my cell phone, and and I'm going to go get this thing. Sure enough, I show up. I get my cell phone. It is, it's a great little cell phone. And I get it, and of course, two weeks later, they cut the price in half. So I ended up paying about $200 more for this cell phone than I had to. I was a bit of a financial pagan when it came to this cell phone. Let me define what a pagan means, because that, that word can bring up different things to different people. The word pagan came about in the early church. It means to worship something other than the God of Christianity. In our modern culture, it's meaning can sometimes um, means a person who lives in a hedonistic way or a pagan lifestyle that means that they're self-pleasing at the expense of everything else. And what Jesus is speaking to here is exactly that jesus is warning about living a lifestyle where we get our pleasure our security and our fulfillment from the things of this earth instead of seeking and living for god and for me in that moment the pursuit of of a new cell phone clouded my better judgment but i ask you what clouds yours because we all have these weak spots don't we what thing are the things of this earth that causes you to act irresponsibly when it comes to your finances? What financial storm has been caused by your decision, impulsive decision regarding money? How many fights have you gotten into with your significant other or spouse about your spending habits? If we're really honest, most of the financial storms we can get into are usually caused because of th- something we did. An example, I see this a lot. A lot of the couples counseling that I have done in the past has been because of finances. And it's usually because we all pursue that American dream. We all want the giant house on the big property. And so both spouses have to work one to two jobs to be able to afford this house they never be, they're never in. And their families suffer because of it. I read, a, as I was doing research for this, I read that the average household in America carries about $20,000 in credit card debt, with a significant percentage of the houses in America carrying between $30,000 and $40,000 in credit card debt. This is credit card debt, not mortgage, not student loans, credit card debt. At 17%, you almost have no chance of ever paying that off. That's a pretty good indication you might be a pagan in your finances if your credit card debt exceeds the amount of money you make in a year. But I have some good news. Your father loves you too much to live that way. That's why Jesus ends this section of Scripture with what is the most important advice regarding our finances or really anything in our life. And that is to seek first. He tells us what we are to seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all those other things will be given to you as well. When I got saved, I went to a camp meeting in Columbus, Ohio. If you're not familiar with that term, a camp meeting is just a huge church service where people come from all over the place. They have world-famous speakers come in, and it's a celebration atmosphere, great worship, all that kind of thing. This was a five-day camp meeting in Columbus, Ohio. During that time I was there, I went up for prayer for one of the altar calls. And the, the thought, um, the prayer point behind this altar call was seeking first the kingdom of God. I was originally going to go up for prayer, but my friend and mentor who brought me to the camp meeting, he said, you need to go up for that. This is something you need prayer for. Of course, in my very young, this was 1994, a year after I got saved, I didn't think I would, I thought I was fine, you know, but he said, you need to go up. And I'm glad I did, because the woman who prayed over me said that she could see that I had problems with surrendering certain parts of my life to God, that I needed to learn to to seek the kingdom of God first. And she was right, because for much of my teenage years, I lived Frank Sinatra's life. I did it my way. That was was my, my motto. If I would have gotten a tattoo back then, I probably would have put it on my shoulder. I did it my way. But my way led to a lot of horrible decisions and a lot of horrible consequences in my life. And even after getting saved, I still struggled with God having control and giving up that right to myself. And the woman praying over me said that I needed to just let God be God in my life, whether it made sense to me or not. That's a, another one of my problems. Is because I'm so introverted, I'm always inside my own brain. And if it doesn't make sense, I don't like to think about it. So after the service, my friend, knowing me as he did, he went out and bought one of the hats in one of the kiosks out in the the foyer that simply said, God first, on it. So I would wear it and remember that even in my brain, God needs to be first. As of Wednesday, I've been following Jesus for about 26 years. And this concept of God first keeps coming up in my own life. About seven years ago, God showed me something during a staff retreat. We had a devotional time during the staff retreat. And we were talking about priorities in ministry. What our priorities should look like. And, mo- and each person had to go up to the whiteboard and list off what their priorities were in life. And everybody pretty much had the first three priorities. You know, they, they were making a list. They would put you know, priority one, God. Good priority, right? Priority two, family, and marriage. Oops. I need longer arms. Marriage. And then they would put, you know, priority three, ministry, church. Everybody, we had seven pastors on staff at that time, and everybody was pretty much giving a, a list very similar to that. They said that this was the list. And since I was the one of the most junior pastors at that time, I got to go last. And I was watching everybody make this list up there. It occurred to me that it's wrong to put God on any list. Because to put Anything else on a list with God's name on it is idolatry. It's saying it's God should be the list. And the way I looked at it, I went up there and I erased the last guy's list. And I made a circle. And I put... Family, church, ministry, finances, saying that all of this comes from this point instead of trying to place it on a list. Everything in our life should be God. It's the constant. Struggle of the Christian to make that a reality. God is not on a list of priorities. He is the list. Everything in our life needs to be surrendered to that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And no storm in life will ever Be able to tapu you financially, spiritually, or emotionally. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That way your possessions, your time, your money, your family, your church, your ministry, whatever God has called you to do, it will all flow from him. And God will place it in the right order. If you just surrender it all to him. I'm going to end this morning with this final thought. Some of you have a constant struggle in your life. Most of you would never admit it to anybody else, maybe to God, if you're particularly spiritual. You'll admit it to God. God, I'm always struggling with this. I'm always being attacked this way. The reason is because the enemy knows your weaknesses but much as you do. The enemy has scouted you out. He has a whole dossier on you. Matter of fact, he's probably helped put those weaknesses there. So he knows right where to attack you. So if you struggle financially, if you struggle with worry or anxiety or fear, any of these areas, it's because he knows exactly where to hit. So whenever these feelings, whenever greed or, or want to have a possession or want to go spend money or anxiety or, or whatever is coming upon you, that starts to hit, that's a signal to you that your weakness is being poked at. He's seeing if he can find a way into your life. And that's when you have to say, Jesus, the devil's knocking. Can you answer that door for me? So I would just ask that we just spend a little bit of time this morning in prayer to surrender to him. Let's all stand.